What a blessed morning it has been as we get to celebrate the ordinance of baptism, a picture of the truth for every Christian. We have died with Christ. We are buried with him and we are raised with him to live and walk in the new life that we have in him. As we return this morning to first Peter chapter one, this picture in baptism is exactly what we've been studying in our Sunday morning series through first Peter. I know some of you are thinking as someone asked me this week, how long is this going to take to get through first Peter? We're only getting to verse four today and we've been here like five weeks. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take, <laughs> but uh, we want to take the time to, to dig out each and every precious doctrine that is before us. So we are, uh, we're doing that. We've seen so far in our study that resident alien Christians are chosen of God. We are the elect of God. That God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I hope as we walk through these verses and each Sunday morning we read them and reread these verses. I hope that you're able to read them differently. That you're able to read them better. I hope that all that we've covered in our study comes flooding into your mind as we simply read through the verses that we've already covered. We are making a little progress each week and today we will focus our attention on verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1. But we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. So I would ask you to please follow along in your copy of God's word as I read aloud. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. <coughs> Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. That we would, in the preaching of the word, hear the voice of Christ. God, we pray for the salvation of sinners, for the sanctification of the saints. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we are here as we approach verse 4, still in the middle of this spontaneous doxology, this praise that pours forth right here at the beginning of the letter. The goodness of God toward his covenant people is praised and it is described for us. We are, as we've already said, as we've read, we are chosen. We are foreknown of God. 
which we saw to mean that God loved us before the foundations of the world. We are being sanctified. We are sealed in the covenant by the blood of Jesus. We are the objects of God's great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And that hope is all wrapped up in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only redeemer of God's elect. And today we see that we are born again, as we looked at last time, to a living hope. And as if that weren't enough, we are also born again to obtain an inheritance. So today is all about inheritance. We are born again to obtain an inheritance. And verse four tells us that we are born again to this inheritance. When we think about inheritance, I think all of us consider inheritance. All of us think about inheritance at some time, at one time or another. Uh, if, if you are like many people, you have imagined getting a call from a law firm far away that has been searching for you because some aunt or uncle that you didn't even know. It has to be somebody that you didn't even know. They've died and you were the sole heir and you have inherited this great sum of money. Some of us think about inheritance in that way. Others among us think about inheritance differently, maybe more in the realm of the realistic. Some of you may have inherited something, land or houses or money uh, from someone in your family who has passed away. Or perhaps you expect one day to inherit an estate from parents or grandparents. We've all had thoughts of inheritance, but today we're going to see that for every Christian, for everyone who is in Christ, the inheritance that we have been born again to obtain is far better than anything that we could compare it to on this earth. So as we begin to consider this inheritance and the nature of it, we are told here in this passage, and we must see that this inheritance is an inheritance. I'm writing some deep stuff when I'm doing this stuff. This inheritance is an inheritance. Well, here's what I mean by that. As we think about inheritance, I thought about our law students. I thought about how much you either already have or will be studying inheritance. Wills must be considered. What if there is no will? What about taxes that must be taken into account? If you're not the sole heir of this inheritance, how will the inheritance be divided? There are important things to consider about inheritance when we speak of an earthly inheritance, but most of those things don't apply to a heavenly inheritance. But there are some things that are common to inheritance, both on earth and in heaven. And I want us to think about that. Think about an inheritance is an acquisition of something. An inheritance means that you are gaining a possession that you did not have before. You're getting something. An inheritance, as we use the term, it's normally used to describe a benefit, a good thing. Inheritance is a good thing. So the fact, Christians, that you are born again to obtain an inheritance 
This is more good news for the Christian. This is good news. An inheritance is the acquisition of something. Secondly, let us consider that an inheritance, earthly and heavenly, an inheritance is not an earned asset. An inheritance is not an earned asset. Inheritance is not payment for services rendered. Inheritance is not return on an investment. If you work for a thing, money, land, house, etc., then the receipt of that thing is wages. It's payment due. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about inheritance. If you invest and you get a return, that's not inheritance. Inheritance is something that is given to you. And inheritance, this is what we're getting at. Inheritance is not based on your work. It's not based on what you put in. Inheritance is based on relationship. Inheritance is based on a relationship with the, with the one leaving the inheritance and the one receiving the inheritance. You receive as an inheritance what your father left you by virtue of the fact that you are his child. The inheritance is not something earned. The inheritance is a manifestation that your father has prepared and set aside something for you. The inheritance is a testimony to the goodness of the father. Christians, think about that. The inheritance is a testimony of the goodness of our father. How wrong would it be for us to think that the inheritance that a Christian receives from God is something that we work for, is something that we earn or something that we invest in. Our inheritance is full and complete because Jesus Christ earned it. Our Heavenly Father has set it aside. He set aside this inheritance based on our relationship with Him through Jesus our Savior. This is what an inheritance is. Think about it. if I were to inherit a great sum from my earthly father, houses, land, livestock, or some investment in the stock market, and then I told everyone that I had earned it, that I had built it, that I had accumulated it, that I worked to get it. How dishonoring would that be to my father? How dishonest would that be? We dare not, Christians, say that the inheritance that we have from our Heavenly Father is in any way earned. It is a grace from His goodness. And those who think this inheritance from God can be earned, they reveal that they really don't know the Father and they really are not heirs of this gracious inheritance through Jesus Christ. So this inheritance, <coughs> this inheritance is an inheritance. It's a gracious gift that we receive by virtue of our relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus our Savior. It's an inheritance. And by the way, one reason that Jesus had to take to himself a true body and a reasonable soul and become 
a, a, a member of the human race to become our brother in humanity. One reason is that Jesus is the rightful heir. He is the one who is the rightful heir. And because we are joined, united with him in his life and death and resurrection, we now are joint heirs with him. So we inherit because Jesus became our brother in humanity and then lived for our righteousness and died for our sin and rose for our hope. So we consider this inheritance is an inheritance. Now, let us consider the nature of this inheritance. And you'll see there in verse four, we're told three things. There are three descriptors given us. We read first that our inheritance is incorruptible. If you're looking at the New American Standard or the English Standard, it says imperishable. And these words incorruptible and imperishable, they mean the same thing. We need to understand, though, this word incorruptible, imperishable. And when I thought about imperishable, I immediately thought of, well, there are, there are non-perishable food items. We know about that, right? Non-perishable things that are canned, that are, that are sealed in some way that they may be kept without refrigeration. When we moved out to our place, uh, the previous owners left many large cans of green beans that we promptly forgot about. And then just this past spring, nine years later, there was no disaster. We very carefully, so as not to disturb the can, we very carefully disposed of that food because it was ruined. Even though it was marked right on the side, non-perishable, guess what? It perished. It was no good. Uh, and, and even when we see non-perishable food, the best you're going to get is about five years. That's the best you're going to get. So when we use the term non-perishable, and we're talking about those kind of things, that's still perishable. That still has an end. That is not the word here, imperishable, incorruptible. This word, imperishable, incorruptible, this means that this inheritance will not perish or be corrupted and it cannot perish or be corrupted. You see, both of those things apply. It will not and it cannot perish. It cannot be corrupted. Consider any other thing on this earth. Any other thing that, that you may uh, that you may see, that you may hold, anything that exists on this earth, no matter how small, no matter how large, no matter how valuable, no matter how cheap, anything that you could inherit in an earthly inheritance, it all can and will perish. It all can and will be corrupted. Remember, when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was saying that we should store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. And as he was talking about that, he said, this is why you should store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, because don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. This is the place on earth where moths and dust corrupt. 
where moths and dust corrupt. And he said, where thieves break in and steal. Whatever it is on this earth that you can accumulate to yourself, moths can eat it. Rust can disintegrate it. Now, when Jesus says moths and rust, he's not giving us an exhaustive list of all the things that can disintegrate and destroy, right? He's just giving us a small sampling here. Moths and rust, but there's many other things that can destroy anything that we can inherit on this earth, anything that we can own. Some of you right now may be thinking of the treasures that you have laid up for yourself for your retirement. If it's in the stock market, you know what it is like to see that treasure diminish. You know what that feels like. It, even the, the great aunt or the great uncle who died and we're waiting to get that call from that law firm. Even that treasure, no matter how much it is, it is perishable. Houses, land, cars, cash, gold and precious stones. If it's not perishing in a way that we can see it, it will one day burn with fire. Everything that you can collect to yourself is perishing. Everything is corruptible. Hold any treasure on earth and it will seem like you are at the brink of disaster. At any moment, you might be left with nothing. And this is always true of earthly possessions. 100 years from now, Someone else will own whatever it is that you own. It's always true. This is the nature of earthly treasure, of earthly inheritance. The Christian, the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus is unlike anything in this life. It is incorruptible. It is imperishable. The inheritance from Christ cannot and will not be corrupt. So we have this incorruptible description of our inheritance. And secondly, we see that the Christian's inheritance is undefiled. Undefiled. Again, this cannot be said by anything in this life. I thought about defilement, dirtiness, if you will. I thought about what my mother used to say to me about money. Don't put it in your mouth. Don't put it near your face. You don't know where that's been. And then I thought, well, if we think about it, we might think of some places that it's been. And that's all the more reason to not put it in your mouth and not to think of it as a dirty thing. I wonder how many coins that are in your pocket right now have toured the intestinal tract of a toddler. <laughs> You think about your dollar bills and you think about where they have been and have they been used for nefarious purposes. There's a reason that the Bible refers to money as filthy lucre. There's a reason for that. Even, even the land that we own, it could have, and perhaps it likely was, Taken by force from some previous owner. Now it's yours and hopefully you got it legally and morally and owning it is not a sin. But there's something about that that feels defiled. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have money. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have land and other forms of wealth. The love of money 
the Bible tells us, is a root of all evil. But money or having money is not evil. And I've seen people with a lot of money love money. And I've seen people with almost no money love money. The love of money is not just for the rich. The love of money is sin. Money is not sin. So we can, we can own things. We can accumulate wealth. But something keeps us thinking of money on some level as dirty, as defiled. But the inheritance that we have in Christ is completely, absolutely undefined. There is no hint of sin. There is no hint of wrong. There, there is no such thing in the inheritance that we have in Christ. We can possess this inheritance with no thought of defilement. Our inheritance is incorruptible. And our inheritance is undefiled. And then we see in verse 4 that our inheritance is not fading away. It is unfading. Incorruptible, undefiled, and unfading. This is the third descriptor. And like the others, this can't be said of anything else in this life. Unfading. Earthly things fade. I just, I don't have it in my notes, but I just thought about uh, we rent this facility and they have asked us when we finish uh, at the end of each Lord's Day to lower the blinds because the sun coming in, and we saw this in the old carpet, the sun coming in bleached out the old carpet. It just faded away. And we think about this fading and, and uh, my wife said, don't use too many examples, but I want to use some examples here because I want us to see the things that fade. And so I thought about the RV that I bought last year. I bought an RV that I, some of you have seen it. I bought the RV that I could afford, which means I bought a 25-year-old RV. And I'm going to tell you something. Oh, it has faith. <laughs> the paint, the decals. The shine, I don't know if there's anything that shines on it at all. It has faded. Where the sun has touched any part of it, it's fading, it's cracking, it's dry rotting. Time takes its toll on the carpet, on the RV, on all of our stuff. But I want us to think even further, not only on all of our stuff, I want us to think about ourselves and our bodies. When I thought about fading, I thought about some people. Not, not that anybody in here is showing signs of fading. I'm, I'm not saying that. Well, not that anybody, but we know of people who fade. Men and women who are not shining like they used to. Recently, I got a new phone and, and something's happening with my phone. It downloads pictures of people in my contact list. Some of you... I didn't ask for a picture of you, but I got it. And I'm assuming that comes from your phone. I, I don't know how that works, but I got pictures on my phone. And I gotta tell you, some of those pictures, my, my parents' picture came through and those pictures looked like they were my age. I, and I asked my mother, these are old pictures, what's the deal? And, and it's not just my parents, some of you, I look at your pictures. On my phone, and I'm like, when was this taken? 
Because the photo is not reflecting the faith. We need to recognize that our stuff fades. But we also need to recognize, folks, we fade. We age. We become decrepit. We are fading. And everything that we own is fading. But the inheritance that we have from our Heavenly Father is unfading. It will never be damaged by UV rays. It will never be damaged by time. It will never show its age. It is as beautiful now as it has ever been. And it will be forever and ever and ever. The inheritance that we have through Christ our Savior is incorruptible. It is undefiled. And it is unfading. What a great inheritance this is. But as we think about inheritance, have you ever wondered? Yeah, I might inherit something one day, but how old will I be? Will, will I live long enough to enjoy that inheritance? You want to claim an inheritance and then live long enough to enjoy it. And with an earthly inheritance, we just never know if that's going to happen. But let's look at the last part of verse 5. We'll read verses 4 and 5 again. We will look at the last part of verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Here, reserved for you, reserved for you in heaven who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This inheritance is reserved for you who are protected. The inheritance is guarded for you and you are guarded for the inheritance. You don't have to worry that you might not live long enough to enjoy the inheritance. It's reserved for you and you are protected for it. These are two different words that we see here, reserved and protected, but they mean the same things. They're coming together in very similar meanings. The inheritance is reserved, it is guarded, it is protected. And then you are protected, guarded, reserved. God didn't just say, there's an inheritance. Good luck. I hope that works out. He didn't just say that. No, he is preserving. He is reserving. He is guarding. He is protecting. He is keeping it for us. And us for the enjoyment of it. And he does this in saving us. In our being in Christ Jesus. The text says that is through faith. This protection preserving us for our inheritance in heaven. This is not a works based protection. Christians, we were saved by grace through faith apart from works. And we are certainly not kept and protected by works. We live from faith to faith. This protection is by faith. Then Peter adds, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wait a minute. I, 
I thought we already had salvation. I thought it was revealed in the gospel. I thought since Jesus came and, and lived and died on the cross and rose from the dead, that now salvation is fully revealed. Well, this is very interesting. This is an interesting remark here that we have in this text. There is a sense, of course, in which we might say that our salvation was revealed 2,000 years ago when Jesus lived and died and rose again. We might point to Calvary's cross and we might say that is our salvation. But then some of us would say, well, in another sense, we are saved in our lifetime. Some know the very day. But Pastor Brent and I have been doing an unofficial survey. We think that most do not know the hour or even the day. But we know that we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, and that we are His. And we point to that and we say, that in our lifetime is our salvation. Some might even come further into, into their life and say, well, I see... My current life in Christ, I see spiritual growth by the word of God and the spirit. And we might say that while we were once dead in trespasses and sins, but today we're alive in Christ. We walk in newness of life and we point to this growth in Christ and we say, this is our salvation. And now here Peter is pointing us to the future. While it is true that our salvation was revealed at Calvary, but not every aspect of it was shown on that day. As we trusted Christ in our lifetime, as we were justified by repentant faith, our salvation is revealed in a different way. It's further revealed. Another aspect of it comes out. And we can certainly say that even in our sanctification, as we are sanctified, this aspect of salvation is being revealed. But beloved, we need to keep in mind what Peter is showing us. We were saved. We are being saved. But one day, all this will be completed. All this will be finished. Satan and all the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire. And all those who believe in Jesus Christ will finally be with him. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. No more sin, no more suffering, no more death. No need for a son because the lamb will be the light. One day we will see the final consummation of our salvation. And that is what Peter is speaking of here. When he says that our salvation is ready to be revealed in the final time. On that great day, the fullness of our salvation will be revealed. We will know Christ for we will see him as he is. Jesus, this is important. Jesus has already fully paid for our salvation. And if you are a believer today, if you are saved, you can't be more saved than saved. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about some gradual salvation. But the full consummation of our salvation. When these sinful bodies are gone and we have new glorified bodies like the body of the resurrected Christ. 
that day, the salvation which he purchased will be revealed in its fullness. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And we say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So we've considered this heavenly inheritance. And as we consider this, this, this should bring every believer in Jesus Christ to a place of praise to a place of gratitude toward our Heavenly Father for the precious heritage, for the precious inheritance that we have based on Christ our Savior. But it should also be an added enticement for those who do not know Jesus. When God saves a sinner, He doesn't just barely save a sinner. He does not only this seems almost silly to say it this way. He does not only rescue us from hellfire because that is a big thing. Doesn't that seem silly to say it that way? But here's the truth. God does not only rescue us from hellfire. Everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ is adopted as sons of God. We are family. We are heirs of the promise. We are joint heirs with Christ. So sinner. See this as an enticement. Turn from your sin today. Stop trying to earn a heavenly inheritance. And be born again to a living hope. To obtain an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and unfading. I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Father, we pray that you would apply the words of Scripture, your word, to our hearts. That your work would be done. We know that you have promised in your word that your word would not return void, that it would not return empty without accomplishing the purpose for which you sent it. And God, that is what we pray today. By your Holy Spirit, convict us of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment. 